I can only speak for myself here, but it feels uncontroversial to say that going to the dentist as an adult can be a scary experience. You wander in, you think you're just getting a checkup and you're feeling okay, maybe a little bit guilty about just how diligently you've been flossing, but you know, everything's still there last time you checked. And then, an hour later... You stagger out, confused, disoriented. The basin where you had your teeth cleaned looks like a crime scene, and you have an unexpected $1,000 bill burning a hole in your pocket. Because in New Zealand, most dental care isn't publicly funded. But why is that? You know, we have a relatively socialised medical system here. General health services and GP visits, these are heavily subsidised. Dentistry, once you hit adulthood, is 100% not subsidised. Even if you qualify for a grant to get emergency work done, the general expectation is that you'll pay that back. And dental work is expensive. Really expensive. New Zealanders spend $2.5 million a day on dental care, averaging $350 per visit, which is crippling our vulnerable communities. Why aren't Kiwi adults receiving free dental care? You can't have good mental health if, you, if your oral health is very poor. If you're suffering, if you can't smile, if you're in pain, that's going to affect you on a psychological level and an employment level. There have been calls for years and years and years to extend more taxpayers' money to dentistry. A dentist who's delivered a petition calling for more free dental care says she hopes it will be an election issue next year. My own views are that you know I'm, I'm in favour of universal, publicly funded dental care. There was a report earlier this month advocating for the same thing. A new report has found publicly funded dental hospitalisations rose by a third in the last decade and some places in Aotearoa don't even have a dentist available. But the response has been uniform. It has to sit alongside the many, many other priorities in the health sector. Going straight to universal dental care right away would be you know, well over a billion dollars a year of extra funding. Um, we have to weigh that up against the other things that are needed. So, so you'd like to do it, but it's just not fiscally able oh, to There's many, many things I'd like to do, Corinne, in the health system. We're continuing to... I'm Emile Bonovan, and today on The Detail... Why isn't oral health care publicly funded? What's the historical justification for this seemingly odd exception to universal health care? And how much would it cost to extend? Sarah Dalton is the chief executive of the Association of Salaried Medical Specialists, which released a report earlier this month arguing in favour of much greater public funding of oral health and dental care. I guess the best comparator for most people would be to think about the dentist you're likely to see for a checkup as a bit like your GP. Dentists and GPs are quite similar in that they're largely in businesses. They're small businesses or increasingly large businesses because, you know, there are some larger players that have gone in and bought out practices. The difference is that GPs have a subsidy, a partial payment from the government for the services that they provide. Dentists do not. So it's a fully privatised service. Dentistry is, is, is medical treatment, really, it's, uh, and all medical treatment is very expensive. 
Erin Collins is the president of the Dental Association. And I think the, the big difference is that in New Zealand, we're very fortunate in that our medical care is heavily subsidised uh, through the hospitals. And so we're not really cognizant of the full costs of, of receiving medical care, whereas dental care is a fully out-of-pocket expense and there's no government subsidy for adults uh, or support for dental practices to help ameliorate the costs of providing dental care. Why isn't dental care publicly subsidised? Well, I think in New Zealand you've actually got to go back a long way because um, uh, and around the time of the Second World War, there was a lot of movement around the world uh, in the UK and in New Zealand to have this universal health coverage with like the National Health in, in Britain. Uh, and I think we were moving towards that way um, in the late 30s in New Zealand. Um, but after the war, they really dentistry never really came around the table. We never got invited. Uh, we never got invited in to talk about it. Really, I think that's that's the main reason. And so we ended up with this uh, with this two streams uh, where dental care seems to sit outside of medical care in New Zealand. You know, at one time, you go far enough back, tooth decay was once a disease of affluence. Jonathan Broadbent is a professor of dental public health at the University of Otago. Sugar was a commodity that was accessible to the most well-off people. And then it became more ubiquitous, more accessible. And then tooth decay became a disease that affected all sectors of the population. And the rates of tooth decay in children or people of any age has been you know, extremely high. But now it's turning more into a disease of people who are less well-off. People who are, uh, tend to be more well-off often you know, miss out on the experience of tooth decay. They're able to access preventive dental care services or uh, they've got the knowledge required and the, and the behaviours, access to toothbrushes and toothpaste, et cetera, to look after their teeth much better. Toothbrush and toothpaste, you might think that that's a pretty inexpensive item. It's not so for many people. That is an issue. You are on the record, and we will put this on the table early on. You feel that um, the oral health should be uh, more comprehensively publicly funded than it is. Uh, fair to say? Uh, yeah, that'd be fair to say. Uh, the question is how that might be done, but sure, yep, yep, that'd be fair to say. And we'll get we'll get into the how a bit later on. But um, you, you've said something interesting in the past. Here. You said, uh, "I'll quote you to yourself." That's always fun. I believe dentistry is a case study of what happens when we commercialise healthcare. And I wonder whether you can just elaborate on that a bit for me, please. There's some evidence out there that healthcare providers that run for profit seem to have worse health outcomes for their for patients served in those services than non-for-profit uh, health organisations. And... While I, I believe that health practitioners, you know, we, every man is, uh, every man, every woman is, you know, worthy of their hire. They, they uh, should be remunerated for the work that they do. I have a concern about some models of, of remuneration and the role of shareholders um, and the, the, the way that healthcare has been turned into a bit of an industry. You know, I was concerned when reading the uh, statement, uh, the financial statement of a major dental corporation in New Zealand that described oral health as a market uh, ripe for investment uh, because of the, you know, the levels of disease out there. I don't think that shareholders should be part of the healthcare equation. I think it risks turning dentistry into a pure and simple commercial 
industry rather than a profession. Once we've no longer got the best interests of the population at our heart, and we're instead worrying about the interests of shareholders and turning a profit, then we're not a profession anymore. It clearly isn't working in some parts of the country, either for patients or for the service providers. So if we're talking about dentistry, there are parts of the country now where no dental practice will set up because it's uneconomic. More than 300 teeth were pulled out at a week-long free dental clinic in Wairua last week. The northern Hawke's Bay town hasn't had a dentist in about two years. 250 people were booked in for treatment during the six-day event, but they managed to see an extra 57 people on the waiting list. 277 fillings were given. So what does that mean for those people? So it's a failed business model, right? It depends on having enough people with enough money for them to be able to make a living. So our argument would be, let's just push past all of that. Let's look at the kind of health system we want if we genuinely want equitable access. Let's directly employ more dentists and some of those dentists will be able to afford to live in places where they otherwise wouldn't because they're going to be directly salaried like their um, colleagues who, who work in the hospitals. Back to Erin Collins from the Dental Association. I think that the, the position of the Dental Association is that we are, we've been advocating for years for... Uh, people who are disadvantaged or low income or vulnerable people within the population to try and get access to them, uh, to get access to dental care. I think that uh, anywhere where universal coverage has been tried, and particularly when you think of the NHS in the UK, that's been going since 1948. It's been fraught with lots of problems with lots of changes over time as they've tried to find a sustainable model to actually make it work. This is the true cost of the crisis in NHS dentistry that has been building for over a decade. Patients in extraordinary pain, unable to get treatment unless they can come up with thousands of pounds to go private. And the biggest thing about it is the healthcare would be just prohibitively expensive. Government estimates suggest a universal model would cost anywhere between 187 to $450 million annually. Going straight to universal dental care right away would be you know, well over a billion dollars a year of extra funding. And so realistically, uh, we don't believe that universal health coverage for dental care is, is ever going to be possible out of the general taxation. Certainly uh, the idea put forward was that um, sugar taxes could be used and that money could go towards funding dental care. Uh, I think it would need to be on a much more sustainable level than that with a bigger commitment from government. But I can't see how how that would really work long term. I think uh, the reality is that New Zealand is better targeting those people who are in a a difficult situation, who are um, deprived or, or vulnerable, Uh, and ensuring that they can get access to dental care. There are more than a tiny number of people whose overall health is negatively affected by bad teeth. So you can't divorce. It's not purely cosmetic. So there are people that, um, you know, this phrase is increasingly used about comorbid or comorbidities. So people with multiple, multiple health conditions, each impacting on the other and making the likelihood of them being able to live a fully healthy life uh, less likely. So, um, Bad teeth, is it can impact heart health, it can impact on diabetes, it can impact on mental health, it can impact in terms of chronic pain and ability to 
um, participate in paid work. So there's lots and lots of areas. So actually, if you're talking about where can we do the most good for the most people, putting funded regular dental checks into the equation would be logical, I would have thought. The other thing is we currently spend only about 1% of the whole health budget on dentistry and on oral health. So yes, I take the point that there is always going to be a scarcity of resource to some extent. But then there's also that much larger question, and I'm probably jumping ahead again, of do we actually fund our health system sufficiently? You know, we run a pretty lean machine, and in terms of money in, in terms of percentage of GDP that we uh, put into health and how much we tax our general population, we don't compare that strongly to OEC comparators, uh, particularly the Scandinavian countries, uh, Canada and some of the others who are running, we think, probably slightly more effective and better funded health systems. Here's Jonathan Broadbent from Otago University. I do not think that all aspects of oral health services should be fully publicly funded. Not all aspects of it. Some of what it, what dentists do nowadays is relatively lower priority cosmetic work or things that are, uh, you know, if, if we go on a conversation about need, right? What does a dentist think you need? What do you think you need? What is your need relative to another person's need? Does anyone need tooth whitening? Does anyone need uh, smile design? Does anyone really need that? Or do we need relief of pain services universally accessible to all? Maybe do we need to have a preventive uh, hygiene care available to all? Maybe do we need to have restorative work to help repair someone's smile who's had uh, tooth decay and a front tooth? Maybe those are the things that we need. So if, if you're asking all dental care completely universally funded, I wouldn't be on the side necessarily of um, things like uh, tooth whitening procedures and things like that. That would put to one side. We do have lots of solutions in mind. Some of them are those broader about prevention, social and commercial determinants of health around reducing our reliance on sugar and sugary drinks. Is it time to ban unhealthy drinks from schools? The government wants feedback on a plan to outlaw fizz and all other sugary drinks from primary schools, meaning water, milk and non-dairy alternatives will be the only things kids can swig back on site. So, for example, making all our schools water only would be a fantastic thing to do and it would cost nothing. We don't anymore routinely collect and report data on the state of dental health and access to dental care, so we should return to mapping that data and reporting on it. We need a dental workforce plan as part of the work that the um, Te Whatu Order is adopting. We need to build our oral health learning in the medical curriculum that our doctors participate in as their training as well so that we get better cross-fertilisation across medical and dental specialists. We would like more salaried dentists to be directly employed through Te Order and community organisations. And of course, we think that even if it has to be done incrementally, we need to extend subsidised access to care. So at the moment it stops when you're 17. We think it should be pushed out. We think that pregnant women should have access. And over time, we should push that on. The Ministry of Health suggested almost two years ago that free dental care be extended. An extra $96 million to cover everyone up to their 27th birthday. 
17 million to cover low-income pregnant women, 30 million for low-income parents and caregivers, and 5.5 million for a one-off dental checkup for everyone turning 65. That's 148 million all up. You probably know we launched this the other day at Home Ground, the Auckland City Missions building in Auckland, and you know they see the really pointy end of unmet dental need. They can't. They want to put a dental chair in there to to support the clients they're working with, and they've been unable to fund it. And it's just so frustrating because good proactive dental care is just so. It's it's just I don't know. They're just simple solutions that are that we are missing, and they are costing our economy. Like let's forget about whether you think this is the morally right thing to do or the ethically right thing to do, it would be cheaper to be treating us all and giving us all access to a dental checkup once a year than to not do that. Erin Collins. Nothing is free. It's going to be paid for somewhere. And at this stage, what we're talking about with free dental care is that we're shifting or there's a shift uh, on the, the financial burden onto the taxpayers. And so it's still being paid for and it's still going to be expensive. There's no free lunch. And, and so what I think it's a really good strategy, and it's a realistic strategy, given that both the uh, major political parties have ruled out that universal health care uh, or dental care is on, the, is on the cards, that really we have to look at what's, what's realistically achievable and how do we work within that system. And, and again, the Dental Association has been working long and hard, and the first initiative out of our our study was to, the first gain and an immediate gain was to increase the funding to those people who were most vulnerable and most in need so that they can access dental care, and that that has happened. More free dental care will be within reach for people on low incomes, with emergency dental grants more than tripling as part of this year's budget. They're rising from $300 to $1,000. And, in fact, it's happened to a greater extent than we ever thought that it would. And it's not only for emergency care, but it's also for essential care. So it means that those people that are eligible will be able to have dental checkups, to have cleans, to have some preventative work done. And that's where the most societal gains will be gained. Let's put it out on the table. A cynic might say there is an element here of dentists wishing to protect their patch and their earning ability, and that were oral health to be fully or largely publicly funded, that would limit the earning potential and capacity of dentists who understandably spend a lot of time studying, accrue in many cases a lot of student debt, have a specialist skill and want to make money from that skill. But do you think that there is an element of that there? I don't think that there's a huge element of protectionism uh, from that point of view. I've been in private practice for nearly 40 years now, and I don't, I, I don't think that that's a particular facet of it. I don't think that the dental profession has been included in a way that they would feel comfortable going into business with someone else to provide that sort of service. You know, I think that there's always a place for private dental practice. However, I'd like to see an expanded public dental sector whereby we see more salaried dentists employed working in uh, public or not-for-profit settings. 
So these are the salaried dentists who are picking it up, up an income regardless of the nature of the work that they provide, as opposed to a fee-for-service model. You'd be paid by the hour as opposed to paid for the services. And so uh, in a fee-for-service model, you risk having the situation where you have poor cost containment. There's quite a bit of research out there on fee-for-service as for the funder of the care it's hard to control those costs. And so with our Work and Income New Zealand grants of 300 now soon to be $1,000, if a dentist is setting their own fees and a person attends a dental practice that sets high fees, you know, I once looked at a dental practice where they had a premium service of dental checkup where they charge over $400 for the checkup. Whereas most dental practices charge around about $100 for a, for a checkup. And so you can see how the costs could blow out very quickly. The limited available data on what the annual public spend on dental care is, you know, it's something like that. Um, most people quote a figure of about a billion dollars, sorry, in private dental expenditure per year. That's what people are paying dentists for dental care. But that doesn't account for the unmet dental need. So the New Zealand Health Survey reports that about 40% of people report that they've got some level of unmet dental need due to cost. So they've not got something done because of the cost. Mm. You're spending a billion dollars getting a certain sector of the population looked after, but there's another sector of the population who are not receiving the care and so that's where I think the um, the effort needs to go and in relief of pain services. So I'd be interested in attention to that. And I think there's a risk of the argument of complexity and the argument of, uh, you know, there's that, the argument of, that problems are complex. So, you know, it's too much, too much money involved. So we can't do anything. That's a bit of a cop out. I think that's the wrong approach. Uh, instead, we should say, well, What's our bottom line? What is it what is it completely unacceptable for people to experience? Well, you know, we agree that we don't want people to live in poverty, for example. I think that people could generally say that poverty is not a great thing for you in your life. So we want to get people out of poverty. Now, dental pain is a bad thing. We don't want people to be hurting because of problems with their teeth or their mouth or dentures. We don't want people to have a missing front tooth, maybe. Maybe we don't want people out there to be in the situation where they've got no teeth and they can't afford dentures. So maybe those are the problems that we want to focus on. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Sarah Dalton, Aaron Collins and Jonathan Broadbent. Matewa. <laughs>